Welcome back to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios E3 in General Podcast. I am Al, and joining me once more, the one, the only, Dan the Man from Radio Free Borderlands. Wow, I don't know if I can live up to that. <laughs> I, I, I set some heavy standards for you, didn't I? Yes, sir. Well, this is part two of our Console Wars series, and we're going to be covering the fourth and fifth generation in this particular episode. I know we're probably going to have a lot to say on the fourth generation, because I don't know about you, but this was when, I, again, I was really into the gaming. This is also where it got nasty. Oh, yeah. So one of the things that we do notice in the fourth generation is we start to see a couple new faces in the in the uh, the game market. Mm-hmm. Now, at this time, well, first, the, the fourth generation console wars uh, was from 87 until... Oh, probably closer to 89. Okay, so, yeah, somewhere around the, the late 80s to early 90s. Yeah. And, you know, this is, of course, where we start to see more, you know, improving technology. The graphics are getting better. The music is getting better. I mean, I don't know about you, but... When I first heard some of the music for some of the Super Nintendo games, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Video game music and graphics can't get any better than this. <laughs> yeah, I No, don't. yeah. They, I, I remember being floored. I mean, probably the first 16-bit game I remember seeing was I went over to somebody's house and they had a SNES and they were playing uh, SimCity, which you think now is like, come on, it's just SimCity. But... Comparing it to the NES, I mean, it looked just miles away. Yeah, and I I think one of the... I don't remember exactly which was the first Super Nintendo game that I I played or that I saw. I think it was probably Final Fantasy II, Mm -hmm. which four we know as today, but back then it was Final Fantasy II. Um, Also, another early one I remember seeing was uh, Legend of the Mystical Ninja, so, yeah, those just the music and graphics in those games really blew my mind. And we, we definitely see everything step up in this level where it's not just the graphics and the, the music that's getting better. I think some of the gameplay got a little better as well. Mm-hmm. And we start to see more games with the battery feature where you can save your game. Because there weren't, I don't think there were as many games with passwords in this era as there were during the 8-bit era and that probably has to do with just the you know the batteries that they would put in to save though Mm -hmm. um i mean i still have my old pool of radiance cart for the nes my save is still active on that one so those batteries i thought they were only supposed to last about five ten years uh every one of my battery games still saves just fine it's pretty sweet that is cool that they still work and Mm -hmm. Um, I know my Final Fantasy 3 slash 6 for the Super Nintendo, that game still works nicely. Uh, the first of the of the uh, fourth generation systems to come out in the States was the uh, NEC's TurboGrafx-16, which now, as you can tell, this is where they started to hype their hardware more. You know, That's- it wasn't just... You know, hey, here's a system with some great games. It was, we're 16-bit. The rest of them are 8. Yeah, and I think with the Turbo Graphics, I think technically it wasn't 16-bit. It, it There was some graphical stuff they did with it, but because mm-hmm. uh, some of the... 
One thing I will say is of the few Turbo Graphics game I've played, mm-hmm. they do have noticeably better music than the, the you know the Super Nintendo and the the eight bit Nintendo games of the era. But graphically, some of them really aren't that much better than an NES. I mean, I'd say they're probably maybe upper bit eight you know upper level eight bit, lower level sixteen bit graphics. I don't think it had it had as much power as the other ones did, and it's partially because I think it came first. Yeah, and it's it was still new technology, and uh, one mm-hmm. of the other things we're going to be talking about is the Sega CD, which I think that was another problem that plagued that particular system was the fact that, in some ways, it was a little too far ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that in uh, in a moment. But yeah, and I, the Turbo Graphics sixteen, I know that was one of the first. Um, ones that was really going for the 16-bit, probably because they assumed that we, if we thought, well, let's see, my Sega Master System and my NE or NES, those are only 8-bit. So the Turbo Graphics is 16-bit, so that must mean it's going to be twice the power. Yeah. But, of course, twice the power doesn't necessarily mean better games. Um, now, I know that there were some good games, like I understand the Bonk series was really popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that became kind of one of their little mascots, the uh, Bonk the Caveman. You know, of course, Nintendo was still going strong with the Super Nintendo, but here in the States, Sega was the one that took the first shot where they released the Sega Genesis. It came out two years in the States before the Super Nintendo. And, of course, you remember what they remember what their old advertising jingle was? Sega does what Nintendo don't. Yep, something you probably would never hear them say today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sega, what they tried to do is they started to play up on the um, the kind of uh, new attitude oh, yeah. that was kind of coming out, and then yeah, Sonic became their their mascot. Yeah, you know, he was quote Mario with an attitude. Yeah, because that's that's a good point. Because I mean, I remember well last episode we talked about. You know, this is where the video advertising became, you know, kind of nasty and they were taking shots at each other. Because uh, what they wanted to do is they wanted to focus on speed. Because um, they were telling us about how, okay, you know, we're 16-bit, so we're going to be faster. But one of their early packing games was Altered Beast. Yeah, You've played Altered Beast before, right? Speed is not what I would say is its strong point. Exactly. That game is anything but speed. You just slowly walk towards the right side of the screen. It was kind of painful at times. Yeah, and that's where I said Sonic really, I think, did a much better job of conveying the speed and power of the Genesis than Altered Beast did. Because this is a topic I might address in a a show on a later date, but packing games can be pretty important. Because, you know, what they do is they, they can help showcase some of the abilities of that game system. Mm-hmm. Like, remember, in the third generation, you had the NES with Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Again, you had something that showed how you can use the control paddle, and you have something that showed how you could use a light gun. And then, well, Sega ended up doing the same thing. You the pack-ins for the Master System were Hang On and Safari Hunt, same thing. Except Hang On was a racing game. Another game, this is getting a little bit ahead, but the Wii, uh, the Wii U, or the Wii's packing game was Wii Sports, mm-hmm. which again was really supposed to highlight the motion control, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. So, um, and of course, for the Super Nintendo, I think most of them came with uh, Super Mario World as their packing game. 
Yeah, that was the big one in the beginning. Later on, I remember some of them were, were, were coming with Super Mario World and Super Mario All-Stars. I don't ever remember seeing that ever as a packing game, because I know yeah. that they released a couple versions of Super Mario All-Stars. Mm. They had, I know they had one that had uh, enhanced versions of Super Mario 1, 2, and 3, as well as the real Super Mario 2, the one that was released in Japan. Yeah. And then I, there were some that did come with Super Mario World. I have a copy of the cartridge with all four games on it. I don't remember because I bought my SNES used, yeah. so I, I couldn't tell you if it was a if that particular one was a pack in. I had heard that there was a pack in at some point. That it might have been. You never know. Yeah, because I have the same thing where I've got the, uh, the the version that just has Mario one one two and three and uh, the lost, lost levels. levels. And then I think Steve actually, my normal co-host, uh, he actually, I think, had the one that did have Super Mario World on it as well. Yeah. See, two of us had it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, I, I feel like this was also a generation where they decided to focus. Um, both companies really decided to just grab a genre and run with it. Yep. Um, Sega really did uh, just a bang-up job with their sports games. Yeah, and I the, think... The sports games on the Sega were just far and away better than I thought than, than the SNES. Yeah, I don't remember playing a lot of sport games for the Genesis. I think the one that stands out in my mind, I think it may have been a version of Reggie, ja- uh, Reggie Jackson Baseball, but there was one like where if you got a home run... Sometimes, mm-hmm. like, if you hit the ball hard enough, it would go into the parking lot and shatter a, a windshield on a car. <laughs> um, the, 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 ver- the early versions of Madden came out. When they, when they had come out, they were better on the Genesis than on the SNES. At least that's what I thought. Yeah. And- um, I think both systems had Tecmo Super No, no, only the, and yep, the only SNES the had Tecmo Super Bowl, which is another topic altogether. The SNES, in turn really became the system you wanted if, if if you were a fan of the RPG. Yep, because of course they had Final Fantasy 2, Final mm-hmm. Fantasy 3, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, uh, Breath of Fire, I think 1 and 2. I'm trying uh, to think of some of the other ones. Secret, yeah. Secret of Mana. Yep, Secret Ill- of Mana. Um, Illusion of Gaia. See, there was another one that's on the tip of my tongue. Um, Chrono Trigger. Yes, Chrono Trigger. Yes, that's definitely one of the better, um, probably one of the best games for this. Yeah. Just period. Paladin's Quest, Eye of the Beholder, um, Super there, Mario RPG. Yep, there was another one. I think they did have uh, a one or two Ultima games on the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I think they also had one or two Wizardry games. I think there might have been a Might and Magic also. Yeah, I think there was also a Might and Magic. Um, there was another one. Oh, yeah, Earthbound. Uh, that was another one that became a cult classic. The the, the Sega Genesis became more for mm-hmm. sports games. And, the mm. um, and, I mean, granted, they did have some really good RPGs for the Genesis. Oh, sure. Like um, Fantasy Star continued on there and uh, Shining in the Darkness. Shining in the Darkness, Shining Force. There was Crusader of Senti. That was probably my favorite RPG for the Genesis. And but it, it really didn't have anything near near that. I mean, both both consoles had a great share of um, side-scrollers. Yeah, like the... 
Nintendo, of course, had Mario. Sega had Sonic. I'm trying to think of some of the other notable ones. Um, Earthworm Jim. Yep. Ve- Vector Man. Yeah. Castlevania Bloodlines. Yep. Castlevania Bloodlines on the Genesis. And we got Ma- Castlevania Super, or actually Super Castlevania 4 on the Super Nintendo. And then we also got a butchered port of Rondo of Blood that was just called Castlevania X. And I've played both the original and the Nintendo version, Super Nintendo version. And mm-hmm. yeah, the original is definitely better. I mean, the Castlevania X isn't bad, but I still just like uh, mm-hmm. Rondo of Blood better. And, and, and this is, again, this was probably the first first time in a while where you did start to see the same game on different systems. Yep, because you had Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. And I think because this is around the time when the court said, uh, sorry, Nintendo, you can't, mm-hmm. you, you can't force your third-party developers to only release a specific game for you know, only your system. And in some mm-hmm. ways, I don't think that, well, how, how can I say this? I'm not sure when that decision came to be, but I don't think it necessarily hurt like Konami, for example, mm-hmm. because they had their own Contra versions, Contra and Castlevania games for the SNES, and they had ones that they released for the Genesis that were totally different. Yeah. Because, yeah, Castlevania Bloodlines was actually a really good game from the few times I played it, because I remember you had two different characters you could use in that game. Mm-hmm. And each had their own different mechanics, which I liked because it gave you new ways to approach each level. But it was that head-to-head ability to just to play the game on both systems yep. that really got people invested in one or the other. You know, if you had home versions of the Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat games, because the fighting games were just the big fad of the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, everybody had their argument about which which system was the better one to play it on. You know, back then, the, 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 the thing was is that Sega allowed more of the blood and the gore for Mortal Kombat than Nintendo did, as an yeah, example. And it has to do with how you mentioned before, how Sega, their main focus of their advertising was, you know, attitude. It's like, yeah, that 8-bit Nintendo, that's for, you know, that's for kids. You don't want that. You know, Mario, I remember one of the early uh, Sonic commercials. Mm -hmm. It had some old lady, and she's like, why can't he be more like that nice boy Mario? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I said Mario was his little goody two-shoes mama's boy. Well, we're Sonic. He was hip and cool and sassy. And, you know, kids, did you want to be like Mario? Or did you want to be cool like Sonic? Yeah, you know where they went bad, though, with that idea? It was a great concept, okay? Look how hip and awesome Sonic is. Sonic is the hip one. You want to be like Sonic. Then they released Sonic 2. And all of those kids who wanted to be like Sonic looked and they said, I I, I don't want Tails uh, following me around. Yep. I know that. uh, There's there's a lot of people I know that don't like uh, Tails, but that's that's a topic for a different show, but... Um, yeah, that again, this is just one of the things that those of us who lived through this time, that's one of the things we remember is how, yeah, Sega and uh, Nintendo, they were shooting barbs at each other because they were always trying to say how their system is better. And um, I think that one of the things that helped Sega is with Mortal Kombat because Nintendo, 
Well, to some extent, they still have this, but not as bad. But back in the day, they always tried to picture themselves as the family-friendly system. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of games that you could just sit down and play with your kids. You know, you didn't have to worry about playing a Mario game and seeing, like, Mario impale someone with a sword or chop off their head or do anything else like that. You know, as I said, because they wanted to be that family-friendly system. Yes. Whereas when Mortal Kombat came out, this the Nintendo version, I think, had better graphics and music. Mm-hmm. They did... they totally changed some of the fatalities and took out the blood. So like when you punch someone, instead of a cloud of blood shooting out of their face, there was just like a white cloud, which was supposed to be sweat. Mm-hmm. And like Johnny Cage, for example, one of his fatalities, he uppercuts your head off. And in the Super Nintendo version, he just throws a kick through your chest and then you faint. I think like Liu Kang was the only character that in Mortal Kombat that didn't have to have his fatality changed for the for the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Now the thing is, is this this also translated to because this was the first generation where um, handheld systems became part of the equation. Yep, with the Game Boy versus the Game Gear, and there were a couple other ones, but it really was just Game Boy Game Gear. Yep. Don't. Yeah, okay, there was a Lynx, but you know what? The Lynx sucked. <laughs> um, and, and and again, it was a matter of Sega had the better hardware to an extent, yep. but Nintendo had the better software, so Nintendo ended up winning with the Game Boy, which was a shame because the Game Gear was full color. Oh, yeah. and you Standard want- TV screen. You could buy a little thing to go in the cartridge slot that would let you watch TV on your Game Gear. Yeah, and that's one of the things I remember. One of the early commercials where they, when they released the Lynx, or no, Game Gear, I'm sorry, Lynx was Atari. Yeah. Um, they always talked about how, oh, and then, you know, the Game Boy, that's in black and white. Mm-hmm. We're in color. Well, and it was hard to see sometimes, too, oh, yeah. in the, the, the Game Boy. See, the, you know, you had to play in a pretty well lit room. I think one of the things that Game Boy did, though, that. I don't know if Game Gear did this or not, but with Game Boy, you could go head-to-head, mm-hmm. you know, where you had that cable that you could connect to a friend, and I know Tetris was one of the games that really highlighted that. Well, I think the big thing that killed Game Boy, the, the Game Gear, besides the um, lack of software, was also the lack of battery life. Yeah, that's another criticism I've heard of a lot of these early systems, especially the color ones. Because, um, yeah, you had to have your four, uh, you know, AA batteries for the Game Boy, but it lasted longer than the Game Gear did. Considerably longer. I don't know what the battery life on the Lynx was, but I think it wasn't. It was worse than the, the Game Gear was. Yeah. But, yeah. For, for, for time, all of you who are out there right now going, you know, woe is me. I have to recharge my 3DS every three days. Yeah, I was you, lucky to get three hours out of four AA batteries on that Game Boy. You young whippersnappers wouldn't have lasted five minutes in 1992. Yeah, and while you're at it, get the hell off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, when you talk about the Game Boy, one of the things I remember was I thought was so awesome because at this time for me, well, before the Game Boy, portable gaming was those little tiger electronic games yeah and they were video game nerd does an episode on that uh the ones i had i know i had dragon double dragon i've played a couple of the others like uh the simon's quest one gauntlet 
I know I played a few others, but uh, like I said, the Angry Video Game Nerd watches episode on the Tiger yeah. Electronics and uh, those portable ones. But, you know, when I finally heard that, hey, here's a game system where you can swap out the cartridges, I was like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, I, I had I had a couple of those. I mean, I remember playing the hell out of John Ellie's quarterback. Uh, another, another cool thing about the Game Boy was later on, you could plug it into this little little fake cartridge looking thing, and boom! Now you can play your Game Boy on the TV with the Super Game Boy add-on. Yep, yep. My son and I were at uh, a local used video game store a couple weeks ago, and we found one of those. So how much is how much is running nowadays? Uh, ours was only like fourteen, fifteen bucks. That's not bad. Yeah, because. I mean, some used game stores, especially the ones that do carry a lot of old SNES and Genesis and uh, Game Boy games and stuff, sometimes they will charge you up the nose, especially for like a lot of the harder games to find, mm-hmm. like or some of the really popular ones. Like, well, I was at a a Mega Media Exchange a while ago, and they had a copy of I think it was Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. Didn't have the box. Didn't have the instruction manual. They were still selling it for like a hundred bucks. Yeah, that sounds about right. Final Fantasy three also goes for big bucks on the secondary market, mm-hmm. um, which I wouldn't pay that much for it because, well, I still have my original copy. But come on, you can download it off the Wii Virtual Console for like eight bucks. Now, while the Super Game Boy allowed you to play Game Boy games on the uh, SNES. The power base converter for the Genesis allowed you to play uh, Master System games. And that is one thing I do have to give to Sega. Because I think there was a company, I believe it was Galoob. They were trying Uh, to make an adapter for the Super Nintendo that would let you play your old NES games. Yeah, they were going to call it the Super 8. Yeah, but for some reason, Nintendo blocked it. And, of course, there was the Game Boy, but not Game Boy, Game Genie. Which, of course, Nintendo tried to block that one, but that, you know, that they got shot down in court uh, because I think the argument was they, when you used the Game game Genie, you weren't doing any permanent alteration to the game, which is why they could get away with it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and I I know they eventually would release, I believe they also released Game Genies for like the SNES and the, the Genesis as well. Yeah, I do have the Genesis Game Genie. I knew. I think I have the. Uh, I think I might have the Super Nintendo Game Genie also. And yeah, at this time, I mean, here in the states, usually it was either Super Nintendo or Genesis. From what I understand, the Turbo Graphics it didn't do as well in the U.S., but it did better in I think either Europe or South America and Japan. Yeah, and the Sega Master System actually did a lot better in South America than it yeah. did did here. Yeah, and. Um... The Neo Geo also did pretty good in Japan for people who could afford it. Uh, yeah, because the, the Neo Geo was made by SNK. And SNK did a lot of really good arcade games like Metal Slug. They did Fatal Fury, which eventually became King of Fighters. Yep. Samurai Showdown. That's a good one. So, yep, they, they made a lot of really good games. And I'd have to say that I actually enjoy the Super Nintendo version of Samurai Showdown um, over the arcade version. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just felt the control for the Super Nintendo version was a lot better. But that's beside the point. Well, anyways, because uh, what the what SNK did with the Neo Geo is, and this is why it was so expensive, 
the cartridge or the, the console itself had an, a motherboard that you would find in an arcade machine. And what they did is when an arcade owner decided they want to swap out games, they would have someone come in and just pop in a new, you know, they, they would keep the same console, but they would just pop in a new uh, card that would have the game on it. So what SNK did is they took that hardware and they put it into a home format, which is why it was so darn expensive. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you got the best possible sound and graphics for the day, but like I said, you had to have a lot of money to be able to afford one of those suckers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I believe the what, last time I saw the translation into 20, $2016, it was like $1,100 for, yeah. for an Neo Geo yeah. in and today's money. Atari's still around. Not only did they have the Lynx, but they had the Jaguar, which, again, angry video game nerd, does a good episode on the Jaguar. And, oh, before we get too far ahead, since we're starting to get away from the Super Nintendo and Genesis, there is an episode of a web series I watch that I'd like to recommend. Uh, If you go to YouTube, look up The Game Theorists, and they have a series they do every now and then called Deadlock, where they have the host, MatPat, and a guest argue about which is better. And they do have a really good episode about the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. Mm-hmm. Where, again, they mention that the you know, the Super Nintendo... I'm sorry, not the Super Nintendo. The Genesis technically had a better processor, but they didn't have the wide ranges of colors that the Super Nintendo did. Which is one of the reasons, I think, why a lot of the Super Nintendo games looked better than their Genesis counterparts. Hmm. But... Uh, check it out if you have a chance. Well, and then one thing that I noticed, this is almost unique to the fourth generation in some ways, especially in North America, this was unique. The attempt at making it better as you went along, uh, you know, as as most of us who, who were around at that time, you knew that after a while that you, with the Genesis, you could go pick up a Sega CD. And then around 95, 96, they had the, the add-on hardware that went into yep. the, the slot, the 32X. Nintendo responded at first with the Super FX chip, if you remember, because instead mm-hmm. of altering the the system, they put additional processing the game cartridge in, and and I believe the first two that were that utilized that were Star, Star Fox, Fox and F0 did Pilot Wings no I don't think Pilot Wings No Pilot was Wings was a very early game Yeah but I know I, right. I know definitely Star Fox is one of the ones that used the, mm-hmm. the FX chip I I know F0 did too but yeah Star Fox that that one that was a big uh, marketing campaign when they talked about that Yeah and the <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of these other systems, they were trying to add stuff onto the console. And that's where we talk about the Sega CD. Part of the problem with that, and I mentioned this before, is that it was a little too far ahead of its time. Because mm-hmm. the videos really weren't as crisp as no. you would expect them to be. And they, It was slow and buggy. Yeah, and there were... Because again, the Angry Video Game Nerd does an episode where he talks about the Sega CD. And from what I got from watching that episode, a lot of times if you try to take an older style game like a side scroller or a, like a spaceship shoot 'em up game, mm-hmm. if you put those onto a Sega CD, you could actually get a pretty good game with really good music. Oh, it's sure. Just when they tried doing some of this other stuff, like uh, probably one of the most infamous games for the CD was Night Trap, 
Okay. Where the the real gameplay is just you. It was kind of like you were watching a movie and you had to flip between security monitors. And really, the only reason we really remember this game is because there was a little bit of controversy about it, and it had Dana Plato in it. So. One of my early episodes, I believe it was episode six, Josh Hadley and I discussed, we had, well, we did an episode called the controversial episode and we talk about Night Trap in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely check that out. And, but yeah, I think that was the main problem with, uh, with the Sega CD. It was a little too far ahead of its time because the technology wasn't quite ready yet. Yeah. But you know what? Nintendo tried. They yeah. were all set to do it. They, it was probably uh, mid ninety ninety three ninety four somewhere in there. They they contacted a, a third party that was that they were going to kind of do this with to put a CD add on to the Super Nintendo. Yep. And they they sat down and they talked to Sony, and Nintendo did what I consider to be one of the stupidest things they've <laughs> ever done, which was back out. Now Sony sitting on all of this research they did. To, to build this CD system as an add-on for the, the SNES, and they can't use it. So Nintendo, oh, this is just a... It, it turned out good for us, because yes. what Sony did was, you know, well, we're not wasting this. You know, I can't um, blame them. I mean, our, if they spent yeah, a truckload of... Oh, go ahead. Our television, you know, our television and electronics aren't selling as high as maybe they were. Uh, you know, the Walkman's going down because people aren't listening to as many tapes. Let's try to get into this. And because of Nintendo bailing on Sony, we got a, the fifth generation starting with the PlayStation. Yep. And I, I can't blame Sony for doing that because, oh. I mean, you think of all of the work that they put into that. Mm-hmm. It would have been a shame to let that go to waste. And now, there was an attempt to make a standalone CD system during the fourth generation, the Philips CDI. It was around, yeah. Yeah, because originally I, they tried to work with Nintendo, and Nintendo did give them the right to use uh, Zelda and Mario, and there was, like, Hotel Mario for the CDI, and then there was, like, three Zelda games, but they're terrible. Well, on to the fifth generation, which, again, we had a nice transition going with what happened with the Nintendo where they decided mm-hmm. not to go with a CD-based system. They decided they were going to stick with cartridges for a little longer, and they gave us the N64, which I've played a few games for, but it's not a system that i played a lot of. But I know you had an N64. I, I did, and um, spotty at best. I well, look at this. I look back at the system, and I can think of maybe four or five games that I enjoyed, and the rest of them were pretty weak sauce. I think um, I can. I can guess two of them: hmm. GoldenEye and Super Mario sixty four. Yeah. Well, no. You know what? I would rate one o- over both of those. Um, Mario Kart sixty four was probably okay. the best game for the system. Yeah, I haven't played that one because the main ones I remember from this time because we would play these when I was at your house mm-hmm. were the. Uh, were Mario 64, which I have to say, because one of the things about this time, this is when a lot of games developers were trying to move their intellectual properties from two-dimension into three-dimension, because we started to get 3D Legend of Zelda games, we got 3D Final Fantasy games, we got 3D Sonic games. It was the new toy. Yeah, and I'd have to say, at least when you look at those early attempts, I think Mario was one of the few properties or franchises that really pulled it off successfully 
Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, because like I know Castlevania, mm-hmm. uh, their first attempts to go 3D with what was it? Uh, Curse of Darkness? No, not Curse of Darkness. Um, Legacy of Darkness, and then Castlevania 64. Uh, those games were terrible. But yeah, Mario 64. Terrible. I think Just terrible. Yeah, and I think Mario 64 really pulled off the, uh, you know, the 3D very well. And yeah. if any of you have the DS, Nintendo DS, if you can find it, they did do a Super Mario 64 DS. It's even better than the original. So hmm. I ha- my son has it. I have a lot of fun with that one. Now, now the fifth generation, you, you had a chance here where it could have been a three a three horse race again. I mean, yeah, okay, you had the Jaguar, but the Jaguar died pretty quick. The three DO was really a fringe system. Yeah. Um. But 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 yeah. yeah the, that's what I forgot about. Totally forgot about the three DO. <laughs> yeah, the three DO was interesting because multiple companies were making different style systems. But they were all 3DO interactive multiplayers, but Panasonic and Sanyo and Goldstar were making their own versions. The one that I think everybody knows the best is the Panasonic version. But the first one to come out after those was the Saturn. And the Saturn fizzled out in the States. It was very popular in Japan, but it did not do very well in in the U.S. So, you know, near the end, or a lot of people think that this N64 wasn't that competitive. It actually was the only thing that was even reasonably competitive comparing it to the, to the PlayStation, which was an absolute monster. The Dreamcast. No, the PlayStation. The PlayStation. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, for crying out loud. Uh, we'll get to the Dreamcast later. Yeah. But yeah, because I think but, that during the fifth generation, PlayStation, I think, pretty much dominated everything else. Because Nintendo abandoned their RPG market, basically. Yeah, because and one of the things I could I I remember is there was an early tech demo of what would have that showed three characters from Final Fantasy VI: Locke, Shadow, and Terra fighting a monster. And this was I said just supposed to be a demo of what a 3D Final Fantasy game would look like. And you know, because I think the problem that they had with uh, Final Fantasy is it wouldn't run on the N64 hardware. It would, the cartridge would have had to have been considerably larger. And more expensive. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas it was a lot cheaper to do that for a CD-based system. And then, you know, of course, Nintendo, we, as we discussed, didn't want to go the CD route yet. They still wanted to stick with the the console, with the cartridges. Yeah. Um but then a lot of the, the big RPG uh, series at the time either moved to the PlayStation or were introduced on the PlayStation. Yep. Obviously, Final Fantasy seven, eight, nine hit the PlayStation. Final uh, Fantasy Tactics. I don't know if you... Tactics well, that's more of a strategy than an RPG, I think. But mm-hmm. um, um, Dragon Warriors, Dragon Quest and Dragon Warrior 7, which is still probably the, the highest-selling game in Japan. I believe then they, yeah, the Fire went to the, the PlayStation. Yes. You had Chrono Cross, yep. which was the successor to Chrono Trigger. There was Star Ocean. There was the Wild Arms series, Sweet Coden. Um, Lunar. I think that Lunar. was the one. I haven't oh, played it, but I've heard of it. So Lunar was a great game. Lunar was probably one of the first examples of a JRPG. 
Um, they're pretty popular now, but that was more than likely the first. And uh, it's hard for me to talk about the Saturn because it just wasn't much going on there. <laughs> yeah, the, the Saturn and the Dreamcast I'm not really familiar with. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it, yeah, I, I they Sega and Atari at this time were pretty much kind of like that kid in the corner at recess. They're there, but no one's really playing with them where, you know, most of the most of the market at this time was either the PlayStation or the N64. And I said, I think that if we had to declare a winner for fifth, the fifth generation, definitely PlayStation. And of course, they also had, uh, you know, Castlevania very successfully jumped to the PlayStation with a Symphony of the Night. And they kept it 2D. Yep, and they and, proved that a side-scroller could still sell in the era of 3D games. Yeah, now, I think there are some people that probably would debate as, as to whether Symphony of the Night was a good thing for the Castlevania franchise. Because one of the major complaints I hear people have about Castlevania is after Symphony of the Night, there were just more games that were released in that series that were of that same style. Mm-hmm. Where you were com- instead of doing the linear style of gameplay, instead you're you know basically just in a castle and. I like when, the 2D sandbox, but that's yeah. just me. I mean, when it, when it's pulled off properly, it can mm-hmm. do you know it does wonders. But yeah, Symphony of the Night was one of those games that proved that you can do 2D on a CD system and still have a really awesome game. One of the first things I heard about that game. Somebody described it, they called it uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Super Metroid. <laughs> because it plays so similar. Yeah. And um, the other when I heard I, that, I was like, wait, is that supposed to be an insult? Well, the other two terms I've heard for it are either Castleroid or Metvania. Yeah. Yeah, they played a lot like Super Metroid did. And like I said, that should be a compliment because Super Metroid was one of the greatest games ever made. Yeah, it, it, it was a fun game. I mean, my son really got into that game. So uh, I didn't get as, as much into Super Castlevania, or not Super Castlevania, Super <laughs> Metroid. But yeah, my son really liked mm-hmm. Super Metroid. One of the one of the big innovations with the fifth generation that you didn't see in some of these other ones too was the idea of the memory card. Mm-hmm. Which which replaced the idea of a battery pack? Yeah, because by now we had you know these rewritable chips that we could put into you know the cards. Because mm-hmm. the fifth generation pretty much goes from like ninety three till about two thousand one. Yeah, because when two thousand one rolls around, mm-hmm. we well a few things happen, and we're going to cover this in the uh, the next episode because Nintendo finally decides to go disc based. And PlayStation continues to make their disc-based system and do a really good job at it. And we get a new kid on the town, on the block with... A new old kid. Yep, a new old kid. We get Microsoft... The bully comes to visit. Yep. um, Microsoft throws their hat in the ring with Mm -hmm. the Xbox. But before we close the episode, any other uh, thoughts about the fifth generation? I think, um, like I said, far and away, um, Sony won this one. The the sports games were superior. Metal Gear Solid, I don't think I have to say more than that. They had Crash Bandicoot. They had Gran Turismo. It was a good time. Yeah, and I said I didn't play as many games during this time period. I was more or less still on my Super Nintendo at the time. Because yeah. uh, I really didn't have the money to buy 
um, an, you know, uh, an N64. And just when I was like looking through Nintendo Power, mm-hmm. a lot of the N64 games just didn't really look very appealing to me. There was another one I forgot to mention. Obviously, we talked about GoldenEye. GoldenEye was a hot game. Uh, and, and Nintendo actually, in, in the fifth, in this fifth generation decided to try something that they're still known for today, which was the casual party game with Mario party. Oh yeah. That's that's right. Cause yeah, Mario mm-hmm. party was, uh, you know, of course that's still going strong. And I mean, I haven't really played many of the earlier versions of Mario party, but yeah, well you, you did because you played the later versions and there's not all that much difference. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed a Mario party eight, yeah. uh, haven't played 10 yet. Nine was okay, but I still like eight a little better. And then with Smash Brothers, what you oh, saw yeah, that's, was that's true. Yeah, Nintendo was decided to take their characters, and they were going to use them to their fullest advantage. And it turned out to be a great idea. They sold a lot of games. Yeah, and um, but you also had Perfect Dark, which was the same engine as GoldenEye with a totally different story. It was a really good game, and another one. Um, that, that, that wasn't mentioned, uh, Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. Yeah, I remember that one, which I've heard a lot of good things about the game itself. The main problem that I think some people have is that, because, uh, uh, Screw Attack, they had a video where they were talking about Shadows of the Empire. Mm-hmm. It was essentially an experiment to see if people were still interested in Star Wars games. Yeah, it's, but, it was a great game. My only complaint I ever had about Shadows of the Empire was, I mean, I played all the way through it, and I thought that they they probably put IG-88 at, he was a little too tough for where you'd be sitting at that time in the game with Dash, um, but I thought Dash Rendar was a, was a good protagonist, and I thought it was a fun game. Yeah. Oh, PlayStation also, had, uh, PlayStation also had Tomb Raider, we can't really... Gotta mention Tomb Raider. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, hands down, Sony pretty much won this round because this is the time where Atari pretty much drops out as a hardware developer, mm-hmm. and I believe the Dreamcast would, you know, that would be uh, Sony or Sega's last console yeah. from here on. Now, I believe they were going just for software development. Yeah, so, it was. You could see the beginning of the end of Sega here. You watched Atari die, and at the same time, you saw Sega really struggle. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to call it uh, quits for today's episode, and said next time we are going to discuss the sixth generation. And uh, like to thank you guys for listening. So, of course, uh, please check out Dan's podcast, Radio Free Borderlands. Go to libsyn.com, or you can also download it through iTunes and. Uh, you also have a Facebook page, so please feel free to stop by his mm-hmm. Facebook page. Uh, you can find Point of Insanity Game Studio on Facebook. And, of course, you can also download Geekery in general through iTunes as well as Podbean.com. Uh, please feel free to stop by my YouTube channel and check out some of my videos that I have up there. And, of course, my main website, POIGamestudio.com. Any closing thoughts from you, Dan? No, you people just take care. Yep. So thanks for listening and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy game. Later. <laughs>